This is Chris coming at you with episode 17, part B. We released part A on Monday with four stories of inspiration from the Boston Marathon. We've got five more stories for you today with part B. We hope you enjoyed part A. And here we go on part B. Story number five here today, 1982. Salazar, Alberto Salazar versus Dick Beardsley. Toe-to-toe for 26 Point two miles, the greatest American distance race of all time. And to my opinion, this is, you know, you pick Joan Benoit's 1984 win at the Olympic Games, um, and you put Frank Shorter's 1972 victory at the Munich Olympic Games. And I think that this this race on this day uh, was American distance running at its greatest. Two, um, one extremely well-known Boston-based athlete, Alberto Zalazar. Many people think of him as sort of being from Oregon because he went to school there. But Alberto Zalazar was, you know, he's Cuban. His father was good friends with um, Fidel Castro. But he got super frustrated at the the, the communist turn that happened in, in, in Cuba. And he moved to the Boston area. And, and that's, where, that's where Alberto Zalazar was raised. And Bostonians forever have all considered Alberto a, 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 a product of Boston. And, you know, Boston takes their sports heroes very seriously. And, you know, at this point in time, Alberto had, um, in college, he'd won the New York City Marathon. He'd broken the world record in the marathon. He had, he literally was the at that point, if not the world's best marathoner, he was among the world's best marathoners. And certainly in his own mind, he was certainly the best in the world. And he, he literally famously told everybody at the start line that they had no chance to run with him. <coughs> Excuse me, I had a little sneeze there. Uh, he, he, he basically thought there was no one that could run with him and all he was going to do was run against the clock. There's so many stories around this race that are just amazing. But the first one, most important one being, Alberto was going to win and no one else was going to beat him. And then some, as in, in, in my terms, punk-nosed punk, punk kid, some punk kid from Minnesota of all places with a backwards, backwards uh, painter's cap, um, coached again by, here we go, Bill Squires, another, another Bill Squires reference. We've been a- made like four or five of them over the course of, this, of these podcasts so far. Uh, he was coached by Bill Squires, and um, no one expected to see this this toe-to-toe slugfest that ensued in 1982 on the streets of Boston. Um, and it's crazy. They say that somewhere along uh, in the vicinity of 2 million people were on the race course. It's like it's impossible <laughs> to have that many people. You don't—, you don't there's no, there's not almost any other thing that happens. They, they'd heard that there was, first of all, they all knew that, that Alberto was running because at this time, 1982, distance running is incredibly popular in the United States. It's, it has, people know the best, the best hitters in the, in, a, in the uh, Major League Baseball are also known in the same, the, the, the distance runners are known in the same light. They're, they're considered equals at this point in time in American history. And, so they heard not only was Alberto could possibly win, but that there was a, a real race and it was Americans going toe to toe, and thousands, hundreds of thousands of people poured out onto the course to watch this race. And I, I'm sure Chris, you're going to show a little bit of footage. At, we'll show some footage from, of this race in terms of it, it isn't just incredible how close these guys stayed from the start of the race to shoulder the finish to of the race. shoulder, essentially until that until until. Dickie, as he's as he's well known to be called, is you know Dick Beardsley. His nickname is Dickie. Is he, he he took the lead somewhere after Heartbreak Hill, and just pushed and pushed, and he said you know he would throw a, a surge down for 400 meters, and then he would cover for you know what would be characteristic 200 meters, and then he would throw another surge down, and then he realized Alberta wasn't going anywhere, so he would then throw a surge for another 400 or 600 meters, and then he would throw it that he would rest for only 10 seconds and throw another surge and he could not dislodge Alberto Zalazar from his shoulder and you know a little bit of backstory here Alberto Zalazar 10 days before this ran like a 27 low 10k in Eugene Oregon against 
uh, Henry Rono, um, who at the time was the best distance runner in the world, though he didn't run marathons. Um, he, so Alberto had already put himself into a big giant hole and had no business really, honestly, running toe-to-toe with Dickie at this point in time. But Alberto is known for his ferociousness and his inability to, to back down. And he was not going to get beat. And yet this upstart had decided that no matter what, he was going to beat him. Well, and Salazar also had finished second in World Cross that year in March as well. So he came in red hot. And I think, is it fair to say that Salazar in some ways was a little bit of a rock star? I mean, he had the Cuban heritage, the good looks, the results at that point came in as the prohibitive favorite. And and this was at a time when, you know, after some of the blue collar guys like Boston Bill Rogers just kind of got it done, you started to have some fame for for what you know Salazar was doing and so he kind of came in as the rock star favorite and was up against Dick Beardsley this dairy farmer from Minnesota who had a 10k PR from the track that was 90 seconds slower than Salazar ran against Henry Rono <laughs> that nine days before so it was sort of the the rock star favorite versus the the blue collar unknown dairy farmer Beardsley who he had won London the prior year, and so he had some track record at the marathon, and he had trained explicitly with Salazar in mind. If you read some of the stories, there's a great Runner's World article, which we'll link to, that tells the whole story. But he had trained explicitly through blizzards with Salazar in mind. Yeah, he had his coach drop him off. He basically was a blizzard a couple of weeks before Boston, which you know they just saw recently, so weather's... Weather, weather conditions continue to be the same pretty much. His, his, his coach said to him, you can't go do the workout. You can't go do this. But he's like, he knew Alberto, who he was conscious of, was going to be running this race. He knew that Zalzar was going to be doing his workout that day, and he would be doing it in much better weather conditions. And his attitude was, let me go do it, coach. And Basically, Squires had him doing eight repetitions, an out and back, up and down of Heartbreak Hill, eight times. His coach couldn't even get to the location to get him up the hill because he couldn't get the car to go that far. So he actually dropped him off, and he and and Dickie ran to Heartbreak Hill, went up one side, down the other, eight times. Ran back to his coach and said, "Coach, I'm ready. I'm I can ready. beat him. I can beat him now." And I mean, then, of course, Boston was blizzard that day, but 70 degrees on race day. And this was at a time when they didn't have aid stations. You know, now everybody's coddled from from the back of the pack to the elites where you've got tables upon tables of fluids. These guys didn't have aid stations. Beardsley said Salazar didn't take any water. He was grabbing it from spectators because they knew he needed it. But Salazar didn't take any water the entire race. Yeah, I mean, in 1982, Dick Beardsley is taking water from spectators. Uh, That's... And it was, and there were millions of people watching the race. Like, it's a different era. It's an era that I wish, you know, I just want to shake that tree as much as I can for us to all recognize that we have been amazing and great at this sport, and we still can be. But let's think about this. So, at the end of the day, the race finishes, okay, and it, it, there's, a, there's, a great, there's a great flurry of punches, uh, we can't see it the way that you can see it in a boxing match. You know, Chris, you and I talked about this online. When you watch um, great boxers go toe-to-toe and throw haymakers at each other, you just get excited. You can feel it. In distance running, you can't see it the same way. You can't tell when an athlete is throwing a surge in and somebody's responding to it. And, but it's going on in the same way, just the, just the same way that fighters do it. That's happening. And here we have one of the greatest battles that we've ever seen in the sport. And... Alberto Zalazar, who ends up pulling off the win here, he wins by two seconds. I mean, it was so close. And we'll, we'll, we'll probably go back and talk a little bit about the last couple of turns. But Alberto Zalazar ran, at that point in time, I think, his, I think what he ran was basically 208.56 or 57 or somewhere in that range, right? 208.51. 208.51. The world record was his own. And I think it was 208.20-something or 218-something, right? So he almost broke his own world record. Alberto Zalazar took nary one sip of fluid from the gun to the finish. He took no electrolytes. He took no gels. He took no goo. <laughs> he didn't do sh- jack shit. And he almost broke his own world record today. 
If someone at Boston runs 208-51 or 52, he's going to be lionized in the American public for being a great distance running and doing a great thing. We What did what did Meb run in his win? Two, two, 2.08. Let's see. I got it here. He was in the 208. 37. So, so just a little bit faster. And, and I guarantee you he had aid stations. He had his personal, personal water set out there. I mean, listen, folks, we're soft. We're all soft. We're not at the point where American distance running was in the past. And ultimately, let's look at and see if we adopt the same sort of go-for-broke attitude if we recognize that the world that we live in on a day-to-day basis is giving us more than we need and we need to get hungrier, I mean, we, we can it, – it's just sad to me. It's just really, really sad. But let's go back to the finish, the, what happens in this race. So at some point in time, Beer, Dick is just hammering and hammering and hammering, and Alberto takes the lead, I guess, probably somewhere around the 25th and a half mile, somewhere in that, yep. in that, in that ballpark. And, and Dick says, listen, I got a hand, I, I, after all that surging and all, after all that pushing in 70 plus degree temperatures with only water on the course, guess what? He gets a little crampy. Imagine that. He gets a little <laughs> tightness in his hamstring. It's like his hamstring starts to pull and pull to the point where he feels like, He's, he's, he cannot respond to Alberto's moves. And Alberto had just sat on him and sat on him. And there's, there's YouTube footage of this. You can just see Alberto is literally the, the predator chasing the prey. Um, and when he goes by him, he just thinks Dick's done. And Dick says that he stepped in a – and he, he's like, he's so tired, he's about to break. He had said prior to that, I think somewhere around the 20th mile, that all he was going to do was just get to the next mile. Just get to the next mile. Just get to the next mile. But he said at some point he realized, I could win this, but his hamstring tightens up. You know, somewhere around the – between the 25th and a half mile and the 26th mile, he steps in a hole, and he's sure that that's it. It's finished. It's done. Steps in a hole, and he's like, that's it. A couple strides later, he's like, wait, my hamstring feels a little better. I got I – so he rallies and, he rallies and comes back at him, takes a turn. I think he took the turn on Herford, and, yep. and literally the, the cops, the cop had no idea. The, 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 the vehicles that are out there on the course, the motorcycle cops, don't even know he's there, almost run him over. He, he pulls on the inside, and Alberta looks over his right shoulder, sees him. His eyes bug out as big as day and goes, oh, my God, this guy's <laughs> not done. He's coming for me again. And he... he Desperately, Dick desperately tries to take the lead over Alberto, but he can't because Alberto has decided that he is going to win. Under no circumstances was he going to be defeated. And as many times, and he ends up holding off Dick to the finish line and beating him by two seconds. But to this day, when I look at that race, I think Alberto Zalazar was one of, if not the greatest American distance runner in history, because I have never seen someone who wanted so single-mindedly wanted something and so desperately created the end result and he says to this day that after that race it was over for him he was never the same he was never the Neither same Neither of them were ever he the had same. he had good races he had a couple of good races and he rallied but by the olympic by the olympic games in 1984 you know i think no one would have said that joan benoit would have won the olympic gold medal at the 1984 olympics but Alberto Zalazar would have won the Olympic gold medal. Um, that didn't turn out because Alberto came up with all kinds of strange maladies and unusual things that have happened. Of course, Alberto also famously ran himself into the grave at Falmouth a couple of years prior to that, I believe, to the point where they actually produced, they actually gave him his last rites. The yep. priest had said he was dead. And um, so Alberto had this, he just was an incredibly amazing at pushing himself but all but the hero of the day for everyone involved was definitely dick beardsley because again the champion even though he was a local had been rattled um and it took everything alberto had to win that race and i still think to this day is probably the greatest american foot race that i know of and certainly one that if you read this article that uh john brant wrote that it's just amazingly well written sort of gives you a lot of back history we've, we've talked just a little bit about it but it's just you got to read this article it's, it's amazing yes read the article we'll link to it in our show notes we'll also link to the youtube footage that steve referenced and we're going to play a little bit of it here here's the call in the final stretch now 
it has come down to this. Alberto Salazar makes the turn up Hereford Street. The 1982 Boston Marathon presumably is in his pocket as he has outdueled Dick Beardsley down the stretch and in fact took the lead on Commonwealth Avenue just under the Mass Avenue Bridge. And so it is Alberto Salazar in front. Dick Beardsley in the hat behind. As Alberto Salazar comes up around Ring Road, will make the turn down Ring Road and toward the Prudential Center. Alberto Salazar in only his third marathon. But watch Beardsley. Beardsley is making a move. It has come down to this. Beardsley is Salazar. The motorcycle's got to get out of the way. Here comes Beardsley. He's got to make a move on Salazar. Wow, goosebumps. Two more things, and then we'll move to the next. Is that one, you know, Beardsley went on to have a big struggle with addiction. He was in a bad farm accident because he went back to be a farmer back home. He was in a bad farming accident, hurt his leg, ended up getting addicted to painkillers. Ultimately hit rock bottom when he was arrested for felony drug charges for forging prescriptions to get to get what he needed. And that forced him to hit rock bottom. He turned his life around and is now actually talks to to addicts to help them work through it and so he has a great story that kind of follows that if if um if that addiction story is of interest but there's a interesting story about him from from his father for high school graduation he didn't get a traditional gift but what he got was an iou from his dad for a plane ticket to boston to run the marathon and so here he was at 18 years of age, a high school senior, already dreaming about what could be in Boston. And to me, that kind of captures the difference between then and now in terms of the marathon. You don't have high school kids aspiring to be Boston Marathon winners. But at the time, you did. But we don't have kids aspiring to win the Boston Marathon because we don't have people winning the Boston Marathon. And we certainly don't have people winning the Boston Marathon that look like many of the Americans, you know, and that's sort of the argument that people make about Meb, that he's not an American, which is utter and complete bullshit. And I call bullshit on that 100% all the way. But I understand why your sons or your daughter might not look at the America at at distance running in the same way. And hopefully we that will change that people will see that they look just like them. And if they look just like them, they can do it. It took it took Roberta Gibb doing the marathon for folks to recognize that she could do it. I mean, people, human beings need to know what the standard is for them to reach the standard. And when the standard sucks, it's everything sucks. And that's the the dark ages that we went through in the United we, States from 1984 until until very recently. Well, it was 83. Greg Meyer won the following year after the Duel in the Sun as the last American to win it until Meb did in 2014. And and you had a big drought on the women's side. You had a, an American win in 85. And we still haven't had another American win since 85. Kara Goucher broke that drought of sorts in the modern day in 2009. So that gets us to our next story, story number six, when Kara finished on the podium as, as one of the first Americans to finish on the podium since 85 in the 2009 Boston Marathon. She had just run her first marathon in New York at that prior year in 2008 after getting the bronze at the time in the in the 10k world champs in 2007 she finished on the podium in new york as the first female to be on the podium u.s female to be on the podium since 1994 she came to boston after that new york result with big goals and and the race went out really tactically which is odd for a for a women's race so the first mile that year in 2009 was completed in 628 
628 first mile, which is slower than some of our women Jogging. will run their first mile from Team Rogue this year. They came through the half in 118 and pretty much dawdled until about mile 21. Kara was still with the lead pack at that point, and she decided she couldn't wait. She looked around. She said at the time there were still eight women in the front pack, and she felt like she had to go because she didn't want it to come down to the end. And so she went and led the race into a headwind for the last five miles and then famously couldn't hold it in the final straightaway and was beaten by two Kenyans and ultimately ended up third to finish on the podium. So, but the thing to me that strikes me about this race, and she, and she recently wrote a blog about it that we'll quote here in a second, but she was so heartbroken about finishing on the podium and you can see it in her post-race press conference she's crying she's tearing up she almost doesn't know what to say she's questioning herself wondering if she went too soon if she should have waited or 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 you know should have gone earlier she was so heartbroken because she knew she could have won and and she came in believing she could win so it was really the first time since 85 that an American woman towed the line with the express belief and confidence that she could win and then the devastation to not have done it and that's really palpable for her in watching some of those post-race interviews and then you know she talks about it in a blog here which I'll quote but you know but that sort of to me signifies ultimately what became Desi's race in 2011 Ryan Hall some of Ryan Hall's races in those years Meb's race Basically, Americans were back, in a sense, in Boston, and she went for it. Didn't quite get the results she wanted, but was but was darn close. Yeah. <clears throat> Who was her coach? Salazar. So, I mean, for all the, the... Everything tossed at Salazar for whether his athletes are clean or not clean, which even Kara herself has cast aspirations that way in terms of whether or not that is the case, he truly changed while he was while he was the catalyst while he was part of the end of the great resurgence of American distance running, he's also been the catalyst for the return of the great American distance runner. And I agree with you, Chris. Two thousand eight Boston Marathon absolutely critical, crucial year in terms of Americans recognizing their ability. And the great thing about Kara is such it's what it takes to be devastated with a third-place finish. I mean, what does that mean? That means she expected to win. And I'm not sure she ever really got over that. I'm not sure she ever really got to a place where she could produce at the same level of effort to recognize that the one, the, the chance was stolen from her, where it really wasn't. Almost anyone else would have stood there and said, look at what I did, look at what I did. Instead, she just had that attitude and that approach of the true champion and the true warrior. It's all or nothing, you know? All or nothing. She ran a four-minute negative split that day. Crazy. Basically closing those last five miles like crazy, leading that pack of women that were popping off the back as she pressed the pace from the front into a headwind. And she was fearless. She would... And I'll quote, the, and we'll we'll link this blog. But she recently wrote a blog that was posted on Wazelle's site, her current sponsor, and she says in it, "I was devastated. I had never before let myself be so exposed. I had let the whole world into my goal, and I didn't complete it. I'd gotten everyone's hopes up, and I had said that I would deliver, and I failed. It was both the most amazing and shattering experience of my running career. I had never felt like." I had let so many people down in my life. I just wanted to go back in time, back to five miles to go, and continue to accelerate to see if I could have won it that way. It has been nine years since I first ran the Boston Marathon. I still have never watched any race footage from that year. It is still difficult to talk about. In fact, I am teary-eyed as I type this out. But I have forgiven myself for not winning. Not only have I forgiven myself, but I have learned to appreciate Boston t 2009. Over the years, people have told me that it was m it was the most inspiring race they saw, me going for it, fighting for the win. That has helped me heal and value what I did that day. 
I didn't cross the line first, but I gave it all I had. I let everyone in, and they weren't disappointed in me. They knew I did the best I could, and that was enough. Well, obviously, I, it wasn't enough because <laughs> that pain you feel, you know, I mean, I, I think when people, pe- I don't think Kara gets the credit she deserves for all that she's done. And I think that um, her her outspokenness and her live her life on the edge, not live her life on the edge from a from a dangerous standpoint, but just letting everybody see it. She's always been that, letting them in. And when you let people in, you're vulnerable. When you're vulnerable, you either win big or you lose big. And she lost big. But I think in only her mind did she lose, you right. know? And maybe in, a, in her coach's mind, they lost. Probably they went in with, with, with everything on the line. But I guarantee you if that race hadn't been run that way, if it had not gone out at the spa- pace that it had, Kara never would have been in that race. And, you know, this goes back to the predictions that we made earlier, and maybe you're right with your estimation of Jordan Hesse. Same coach. Um, both of them were incredibly, in- incredibly good as a high school level. So while Kara had a much, had a, they both had great college careers, but they sort of faded for a little bit in the window there as they tried to find their place. And maybe Jordan's on the cusp of having another opportunity to, to, to win here. But. I, I think that there was no her loss was every was the rest of the world's win was all American distance runnings especially women's American distance runnings win because people now had a hero and to this day you you talk about Kara Goucher and women in this country and men in this country they rally behind her no matter what because they saw a giant heart going for it with everything that she had you don't get that at Shalane I'm sorry I just don't feel the same way about Shalane I've got no I've got no dog in the fight with her if she wins i'm like ah, an automaton one like a, a robot one i hate to say it but with kara and with desi i feel a true like connection to their fight and their passion and their willingness to give it all and go after it and i just truly i'm truly grateful and thankful for kara's courage and f- because it's woken up american all the athletes i coach all the women i coach they definitely have kara gaucha as their hero and I think it gets back to the authenticity. You know, she, we had the opportunity to meet her here at Rogue a couple of years back. She came to speak at an event that we did with Skechers. And I had the opportunity to spend a few moments with her by myself as we were preparing to, to get her out to talk to the to the bigger audience. And she was just a normal person that treated me like anybody, you know, anybody else and was so generous and authentic with their time and then got out in front of a crowd of people answered every question I think teared up and cried a little bit as she talked about some of the things that we're talking about here now and so you always get the real Kara and I think sometimes she's criticized because she cries after races and people think she's not tough enough or maybe that she's dramatic or a drama queen or something like that but it's none of that it's just that she cares so much she believes so much that when it doesn't happen she's heartbroken and she lets people see it and that to me is powerful and it's a lesson to anybody who has a bad race that it's okay to mourn that to let all those feelings come out and eventually you you might come to some peace with it like she represented in this blog but you could tell still tell in those words that it's tough to think about i mean she's she basically is saying to everyone in that blog I'm sorry I let you down. I still haven't forgiven myself. <laughs> right. Even though she says she forgave herself, you can you can just tell she hasn't yet. And I mean, who else? That's a that's a quintessential American viewpoint. That is truly someone who says, um, "You were looking for a champion, and America produces champions like this." And I was not able to deliver on that day, but on my mind, Kara has delivered over and over and over again, and. I, I I hope she has another chance, maybe not to compete at the highest level in the world, but some way for us to to thank her in the way that's appropriate. I think there could still be, I believe, I think there could still be a Meb moment for her down the road where she gets in the right race and might have a big result. I hope so too, we'll but see. I just think American marathon, I mean, women, women's marathoning is so different from men's marathoning. That's it's going to make a real challenge for that. It's going that's why that's why Desi's push to de- this year in 2017 is a crucial one because there's not many more opportunities. But that result in 2009 really kickstarted a resurgence at Boston for 
Americans. And that takes us to our next two stories from the 2011 race, which was famous for having a big tailwind. And another American distance runner that arguably is the greatest American marathoner, at least in terms of stats of all time, which is Ryan Hall, who's probably still underappreciated because of some of the things things that surround you know his life and his issues with coaching and God and all those things. But we have to appreciate his 2011 result. He ran a 204.58. That, by the way, at the time, was a minute faster than the Boston course record that had been set the pre- previous year in 2010. He still lost. He still didn't make the podium. He still was beaten by almost two minutes by Jeffrey Mutai and Moses Mosop, who ran low 203s with that tailwind. But Ryan Hall made the race. He went out in his first mile. Get this. He ran a 436. Suicidal. (laughs) (laughs) Because he went for it. And he was another one that stood on the starting line. And he actually said said this in a pre- a pre-race interview that he believed he could run 204 there. And again, at the time, the Boston course record by anybody ever was in the 205s. He showed up on the starting line that day believing he could run 204 and set out to do it. He ultimately ran pretty even splits that day, but just got got dropped um, by the Africans who, you know, who happened to have a better day, and that was a loaded field. But he doesn't really get the credit for what he did on that day because he finished fourth and Americans like top threes and they like wins. And so we forget a little bit about this result, but he set the stage for that race, basically led for the first, most of the first 15 miles, ultimately got dropped and, and battled back to finish fourth. At one point he was in, in the running for the podium again, as, as the race played out at the very end, but still finished just off the podium. It's interesting when you hear him talk about that race because even that day, I remember watching it and seeing him interviewed right after, he was happy. <laughs> He'd set out to do what he had wanted to do, which was run to a four and run it that way, leaving everything out there, going from the gun. He was actually happy, and I was annoyed <laughs> with him for being happy about fourth place because I wanted to see him at the front. But he was happy because he set out to do that, and he did it. And again, you know, doesn't get enough credit. He he doesn't get enough credit, and yet he gets too much credit. He, in a sense, he's he he is sort of when we look at American distance running on the men's side. You know, the women have. You know, we're going to talk a little bit later about Desi's 2011 run, which is incredibly inspiring as well. But he he started it. He started this resurgence in my mind in American marathoning because he was a go for broke, ballsy chase it down runner and he got heaping amounts of love at this this is the time people for folks who don't know this there's a there's a website called let's run.com and he and 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 it has a forum which is notorious for uh trolls and flaming and but at that time ryan hall who had set the american record in the half marathon at houston i don't know if it was that year or the year after somewhere around that time frame he he's the poster boy for every american distance runner in the world i mean every american distance runner because he had run so fast and everybody no one was anywhere close to him and he did it in such a classic style while he's very religious and had a very strong um affinity for his with his faith he was also brazen and excited and 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 just had no limits in the way that he thought and i think it took it took someone like Ryan Hall to make pushes like that and to have a great result like that, no matter how maligned it is for the wind and everything else, to, to wake American distance runners up to say they could fight for it. But I think maybe one of the negatives for Ryan Hall was the fact, completely in the antithesis of Kara, was Kara was devastated and Ryan was excited. And your disappointment was, is that characteristically American enough? Is that... Is that enough? Is that what it takes? And for him, it was, I'm signaling my position in the pantheon of world distance runners. And Kara's was, go for broke. It's all or nothing. And I'm not going to accept anything less. And maybe perhaps Ryan's result 
for as good as it was, and in, in all in all honesty, is by far a superior race result given the race course, the climate, the in, environment, everything else, and what it what it signaled. By far a better race result than Keres two thirty two, but yet completely different reactions to the American distance running public or the world distance running public, um, and is that maybe part of 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 Ryan's sort of lack of respect? Um, number one, all the runners that ran that day get zero respect. I mean, I'm sorry, but that race result for the top two runners is still one of the greatest distance races ever run for anybody ever because they went toe-to-toe and they went after it. After Ryan set them all off, they continued to box back and forth and back and forth to make an incredibly amazing race. And so let's not talk... At at Boston, we can't talk about weather. At Boston, we can't talk about heat. What we talk about is, are are people throwing it all on the line and are people living on the edge. And yes, Ryan did for as long as he could, but two others or three others or four others did it better. Um, and Kara the same way. She put it all out there and we respect that, but what's the best effort? And honestly, the segues perfectly into the next race, which is, which is Desi's race that same day. Yes. Before we get there though, a couple of stats. So they came through the half in one Oh two hall finished one Oh two or one Oh or two Oh four high. Jeffrey Mutai, Moses Bozop, ran 203.02 and 203.06. So they closed in 61 over the back half of that course, running a one-minute negative split into the teeth of the Newton Hills. And you just you just don't do that at Boston. And at the time, that was a world record. That was the fastest marathon, in, you know, marathon ever run by almost a minute over Deborah Selassie's world record. Obviously, now those times have been beaten on record-eligible courses. But the way they closed that race, to me, is probably the most impressive. They ran they ran Ryan off, off their wheels. So I think that people... I think that race changed the way marathoners raced. And now, the ab, uh, I, as a coach of, of marathoners, and especially Boston marathoners, I'm always coaching conservative. Um. Because the race requires it, in my opinion. But that's not the way the best in the world are running it anymore. And I think it was the 2011 Boston Marathon that changed everything. It changed the way people approached it. And yes, they had a they had tailwind. And it certainly tailwinds, for those who don't know, that kind of a Western tailwind on that course um, is a benefit. Uh, but still, it doesn't change the fact that I still think those two men would have broken the world record, period, under any circumstances, and they would have done it on the Boston course, which, sorry to say, it, while it is a fast course, it's certainly not a world record course, um, not one you expect people no. to break world records on. And, and it, changed the mar- it changed world, dist- world marathoning, in my opinion, forever. That and, race did. And the Africans gave Hall credit for that. When, when the Americans weren't so excited about his fourth place, he was excited about the time, but the Africans gave Hall credit because he made the race from the beginning and basically paced them to those times. It's also worth mentioning that Hall's time to this day is still 40 seconds faster than any other American has run for the marathon. Khalid Kanuchi being second in 205.38, which was a world record at the time. And, and, I, would, and I will tell you, I am... He's not clean. He's not clean. <laughs> he's not clean. Period. <laughs> so he did it. So Hall did it clean, mm-hmm. at least we believe. Oh, there's no doubt he was we, clean. With we believe. And, and Hall's time is still over three minutes faster than any American has ever run at Boston. So you got to give him massive kudos. Absolute kudos. Absolute kudos to Ryan Hall. And absolute shame on American distance That's running. That's right. <laughs> but that does take us to Dazzy's race that day, which was more dramatic and more compelling because she got second going toe-to-toe with the Africans. Also the same day, so tailwind and everything. Kim Smith, the great New Zealand distance runner who just retired recently and is probably always going to be underrated because you know she didn't have that big result in some of the big races, but, but was one of the finest distance runners, and many were anticipating her debut in Boston here. She took it out hard as well, like Hall, although the women didn't go with her. So they kind of let her take a little bit of a gap, but it kept the pace honest in the lead pack. And so that allowed them to get out pretty well. Desiree, though, ended up falling back a little bit from that lead pack. Kim Smith ended up dropping out. She had an injury about halfway as her calf was giving her problems. And then, and at that point, 
Desi wasn't in the lead pack. She was kind of holding her own at a pace on her own. She did come through in 111, though, <laughs> which is which was in at the time course American course record pace, and but then ultimately caught the lead pack as, after they passed the Newton Hills and was running that last five miles with two other women that ultimately she beat one of them, but they went toe to toe and, and Desi really made the race in the last mile. She pressed and tried to, tried to shake them, but couldn't ultimately Caroline Collel who won dropped Desiree as they got onto Boylston street. Everybody thought it was over at that point, but Desi surged back. She came back again, surged back, took the lead, held it for about 50 meters, but just couldn't hold off Caroline Collel. And she ended up finishing a couple seconds back of her as the podium was right there. Bang, 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 right together. And so she got second, the highest American finish since 1985. Almost won. And I think if you go and look at the footage of this race, um, and you don't get you don't get goosebumps all the way up and down. I don't know. I don't know where you're from or who you are. This race, the way that that race played out over the final two to miles, is so similar to the way that the duel in the sun between Alberto and um, and uh, Dick Beardsley did, where they, the 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 going toe to toe, slugging it out back and forth and back and forth. And the great thing about that race is you could tell the surges more than you could tell in other races because you could see the the next, when, when, when Desi would throw down, you would literally see the other two women's legs almost buckle. Like, this isn't possible. She's, she, she shouldn't be doing this. We don't expect this, right? They would expect it from an Ethiopian. They would expect it from someone from somewhere that they didn't expect from a from a Japanese. They didn't expect it from an American. And yet Desi expected equally expected them to bail and and buckle at some point in time too and they just kept going after it toe to toe slug for slug haymaker for haymaker all the way to that final bit i mean i remember screaming myself hoarse thinking she was going to win that race um and again uh but i think one of the great one of the great differences between Kara Goucher's race where she where she quote-unquote failed and desi linden's where she failed was that Desi never took it as a fail. Desi took it as another step in a process. She took it as another yep. another thing instead of the one chance. And I don't know if that's a cultural difference in terms of the way they grew up and where they come from or or, or maybe just a personal you know, dispositional difference or if it was the difference between having a Kara Goucher succeed before her and seeing that she could compete at that level and having someone, you know, for Kara it was being the one and having the chance to steal it all. And for Desi, in a sense, it was a similar thing, but more along personal grounds instead of being a responsible party. And so Desi was able to bounce back and have continued to have an incredible career to the point where she was seventh at the Olympic Games this last year in Rio. And she's, in, in, you know, after that race, in two, also in 2012, other than basically, I think 2012, we all thought Desi had a chance to be a medalist in the Olympics, but she just ended up having a stress having injured, a yeah. stress injury going into it and not having that chance and you know never count Desi out and and I think that that's uh, it, the the heart of a lion as I was talking about before is it on play at the end of that that last stretch um that last mile that they ran at Boston in 2011 and um such such an iconoclastic the, the other incredible difference, race the other difference though was expectations i think everybody expected Kara to win she had basically said i'm going to win where I'm going to go for the win and didn't get it. Desi came in without those same expectations. She PR'd by four minutes in this race. Ultima- That's true, but no. Ultimately but break, broke the the American record that Joe Moy- Benoit had set in 83. But the public didn't expect the same from her. I but will the public say- didn't expect it from Kara either. Kara just called her shot, but she was calling in the dark. I mean, no one was paying attention enough to her. She was a, she was a heroine and somebody, somebody everybody was looking up to. But I don't think there was a single human, a single American distance fan at that time other than people who were super Kara Goucher fans. And believe me, there were a lot of them at the time. I, I, don't, I, don't, I, I see what you're saying. I think that's Kara's vision of it. I don't think that's the I don't think that's the the American distance right. running public's vision of it, but but I see your point and your point's well taken. It's just but I will say that Desi ran her plan 
she had a plan on the starting line to run 111 half and to run a 122 full. Mm -hmm. She wanted to run even splits. She ran her plan. She let the pack go when they were off of her plan. She caught them when they came back to her. So she stood on that starting line believing she could run 122, set the American record, and compete with the best because anybody would know that that time would be competing for the best. So I think the similarity is that they both stood on the starting line believing that they could do it. Their reactions obviously were different, but that to me is one of the most powerful parts about this is Desi came in with a 226 PR and yet believed she could run 222, break the American record and compete with the best in the world. She didn't quite get the results she wanted, but she gave it everything you had. I will say though, if you watch the footage of the finish and we'll play it here in just a second, Caroline Kalel absolutely collapsed after she crossed the line. She couldn't even walk or move forward after the line. Desi kind of leaned over onto her knees, you know, took a few breaths, stood up, stopped her watch. <laughs> it was a little different in terms of, I think, what they gave. And it just goes to show you, too, that some of these Kenyans have the ability because of what they're struggling and fighting through coming from Kenya to, to just dig deeper. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it comes, I mean, I, I kind of feel like an unintended theme of this entire uh, podcast has, is sort of while we're trying to lift up the Boston marathon and get everybody excited. Hopefully we're also lifting up your hopes and dreams for the American distance for American distance running. And, you know, we saw that dark, the, that dark ages of American distance running happened 1984 after, after we had the incredible win from uh, Joan Benoit, but we also had, we, I, I feel like we fell into a, a, a sort of a, a dark place and we're, we're finding our way out. But we have to be as hungry if we're going to be in that case. We have to want it as bad. And soon we're going to have to have American distance runners that can run the fastest times in the world in order to be able to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with folks. And we're getting there. We're moving down that line. But we're not there quite yet. Um my goal and my hope is that we see someone like Desi Linden pull it off or have a Jordan Hesse pull something off or a, a Galen Rupp pull something off so we can get Americans again believing that they can run with the best in the world. And, and all thanks, in my opinion, goes to Alberto Zalazar. No matter what you feel about him, we've all got to give credit to the work that he's done to create that kind of ethos and mentality. Not that he's coached every great American distance runner over the last few years, but that he's coaching some who are making people feel this way and view this way. So the other thing I like about Desi is that she has a whiskey collection. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and after her post-race interview in 2011, she said she'd be filling the trophy that she had a cup <laughs> with whiskey to celebrate. So that's cool. But here we go. I'm going to play some of the footage of that finish, which will set us up for our final story of, of this podcast. Desiree Davila from formerly Arizona State, now running for Hanson Brooks in Michigan. And that is her pushing the pace a little bit. Wow. Falling off the back here is, is Cheryl the number eight ranked woman in the world last year. Kalel holding tough with her, but that was a bit of a surge, interestingly enough, by Davila. This is on pace to be maybe the fastest time run in the Boston Marathon in the last 17 years. Kalel using those long legs. Wait a minute. You know, let me add this. Kalel does not consider herself a huge kicker herself. She holds a hard pace. But look at the move being made by Desiree right now. Look at this. She, now, Davila's in front. Kalel with another response. There is approximately two to 300 meters to go, maybe something like that. We can't tell the finish line from here. Look at Kalel respond again. Two twenty-two, thirty-six, and in second place, Desiree Davila of the United States. So there you go, Desi 
falling just short, but a cool call there from the announcers. Which takes us to our final story, number nine, one that we all know, one that Steve and I have had the chance to hear straight from Meb's mouth as we've heard him tell the story in person. But Meb in 2014, the year after the bombing, winning the Boston Marathon, being the first American man to do it since 1983. I mean, really, you couldn't have scripted a better 2014 with Meb doing it and doing it the way he did it in the dramatic fashion, holding off the charging Africans and, and seeing his reaction, we'll play audio from the finishing straight, just like we did as Desi seeing his reaction at the end where he went from total elation to disbelief to crying, you know, big tears because he came into this race wanting to win. And he went on record after the bombings in 2013 saying he wanted to come back in 2014 and he wanted to win for Boston. So he put it out there and then, he delivered now to have it happen the way it did he got a little bit lucky you could say with the tactics and that the africans in the field which were which were very stacked very deep let him go gave him some leash but he still held him off and he still ran a pr 20837 that day which is certainly no slouch of a time certainly not on the boston course certainly not on the boston course he ran dead even splits he came through 6421 at the half and 20837 so basically 4 seconds difference in his splits and so he ran an incredibly consistent race and we we all know how it played out they let him go early he built a lead of about a minute and 20 seconds through 30k they finally started to chase at 35k Wilson Chabet and Franklin Chepquani <laughs> were were bearing down on him to the point where the gap got down to 7 seconds at one point ultimately finished with an 11 second win but but I forget I I even forgot that Tipani was third he was 13 seconds back so they were both on Boylston bearing down on him and he was as I rewatched the footage today he was looking over his shoulder seeing that them coming but he did it he did it for Boston he did it for Americans that were long in a drought he did it at 38 years old and, you know, he did it with a style and grace that only Meb could do. I mean, he's, I mean, I don't know. You, It's hard. You can't call him the greatest. I'll say this. His performance at Boston in 2011 is, to me, the greatest marathon win by any American of uh, that. And that's saying something when you talk about Frank Shorter's 1972 um, Olympic gold medal. When you talk about Joan Benoit's 1984 Olympic gold medal. But what it means in terms of a resurgence in American distance running and sort of a statement about what it means to be American, who is American these days, what that means to every person, um, and to do it on a day where, uh, you know, Meb's from Atreya, so while they don't have um, sort of the same, there's not the same sort of Northern African uh, representation of, of violence and um, and terrorism that go you, that you can dial back to an Etrian mindset. It is at least a statement of saying, while the worst of our immigrants could do one thing in one year, the best of an immigrant can do something from another year. And um, by immigrant in Meb's case, I mean someone who was raised, who was who was born in a foreign country but as a part of our system. He's part of the high school system in San Diego. He's part of the college system from a distance running perspective. Meb is an American in my mind as I am. And I, I took his win as a win for me, and it was a win for the Stars and Stripes and a win for everyone. But to me, that the specialness is, especially in our day and age now when we're talking about who is American and who belongs here and who doesn't belong here. You know what? Uh, that, that belongs in my America, at least. That, that kind of call your shot which is old school americana that's 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 like that's cassius clay muhammad ali that's that's uh lou gehrig that's you know that's that's ted williams i mean that's american the way that's it call your shot and to do it for your country and to pull it off and make it happen 
it's it's a story to me that that is a fitting end to all to to this long winded as at this point in time where we've got a pretty long podcast here. But <laughs> what a great finish to what we're talking about of how to be inspired. And um, while we've this story's been told now many times uh, over the last you know six five or six years in terms of what Meb accomplished on that day, it it should never. St- stop being talked about it should never stop being considered one of the greatest races for a while desi in more dramatic fashion in a sense uh got second neb won just yep. as kara for her third place finish felt so upset for not not producing the finish that she called meb did and at least in our country that matters the most. It does. And we we had the opportunity to see him tell the story from his perspective in person. It was a year later. And he talked about a couple things to me that that stood out. One is that he told his coach, Bob Larson, before at the start line, he said, don't worry, coach, I won't lead until after 20. <laughs> <laughs> because his coach was afraid that, All he, athletes are that liars. he would do too much work. <laughs> But when the pace was slow, it, he ended up in the lead at mile eight. He said, look, I got to go for it. And he did. Such so, savviness. So he talked about that and basically letting the race, you know, he responded to the race in front of him versus trying to follow a specific script. And then, you know, we talked or he told the story of as he knew Chibet was bearing down on him, and he was trying to give everything he could to finish. He, his stomach was churning and 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 he had to throw up. Like he literally got sick to his stomach to the point where he vomited. And But he didn't want to show weakness. So he vomited into his hand in front of him. And then tossed it to the side basically so that Chibet wouldn't see him turning to the left or right and vomiting and showing that weakness. So... You know, it, it both shows his toughness, but also how smart he is. And and then, you know, he, he held on. He held on. And not only held on, but extended the gap at the very end as he went down Boylston. Yeah, we talk about the miracle on ice, right? It, it, from the 1980 uh, Olympics in the... Uh, was it 80 Olympics? Yeah, yeah, because we did go to the 80 Olympics in, in ice skate, in, a, in hockey, how we won that year and what what how improbable it was that we could win that and i do believe in many cases what meb did that day was a miracle on boylston because it was so improbable and that chris when we heard that story um uh all the respect that i had had for meb already was taken to a completely different level when i recognized the humanity that he has of recognizing his own weakness and realizing he had to present as a warrior will the best he had no matter if he went by him then he probably would have puked all over his shoes right and or done it in a, in, a, in a way that everybody would see but he didn't because he had a chance to still win and the consummate champion the wily veteran who gets the job done as he called it a year before just just a fairy tale to end all fairy tales um but 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 also more importantly is to sort of wrap up the sort of american distance resurgence i think that has really we're in the gum we're in the game now and i think to me it's super exciting to be it's the most exciting time to be a track and field and and distance running fan in the united states because we're competing we're competing at the 800 at the 1500 we're com- we just won the olympic gold medal in the 1500 medal on the men's side we're competing on the women's side while we're not really making the same strides in the 5k and the 10k we do have galen who's been who's been a medalist um and we're doing it now, and we're doing it in a way that it takes these great athletes from Alberto Zalazar, from all the way from the beginning, from John, from from Johnny the Elder, all the way through Alberto, and then to get returned back again through Alberto, but culminating in Meb for us to believe that we've got a chance to be among the best. And if the young, young distance runners of America have to see that it can be done in order for it to be done, and Meb truly is the epitome of that. Um, hopefully we can get more and more men doing that the same way that we have women. I feel like our women's marathoning is 
a, on a different level right now than our men's is. But but I think it's just a matter of time before we get there. And uh, I I'm I'm super encouraged by what we might be seeing over the next you know four, eight, and even twelve years. And for those that aren't competing at the front, the thing to me that strikes me about being at Boston running that race, standing at the finish line the day before, taking pictures or whatever it may be, there's a magic there on the course that can't really be described. And I'm not a big believer in energy or magic or some sort of connectivity through time, but you feel it. You feel something palpable when you're there whether it's the energy created on the you know by the crowds that are watching and getting into the festivities of Patriots Day or the runners that you're with and the energy that they bring to it but i believe that there's some connection into history that's palpable some energy that's passed forward from Kelly to Bobby Gibbs to Joan Benoit to Boston Billy to Kara Desi and Meb that you can tap into. You are tapped into it. And I think the the thing to me, I know with your skepticism, I get and I understand you're you're raised in the Western world as I was, but with a sort of strict materialist worldview and a, and a, and, a, and a scientific approach to looking at the way the world works, right? But the magic is that still crazy amazing things happen when human beings put their mind collectively to some result. Um, that's been the story of the Boston Marathon even before the bombings. But after the bombings, it became something even more to the point where no matter how materialist your worldview, there's something happening. And Boston is one of the very few places that we have in our world anymore where people who do the same activity, which is put one foot in front of the other, and they do it for 26.2 miles, which definitely puts them in a different category than your normal, everyday, average human being. And at the Boston Marathon, nearly everyone had to earn it to get there. And they had lots of failures or tries to get there, and they didn't get there. And so they truly value that experience. They see themselves as a part of a long line of others who have gotten to what we call the Olympics for the every man. Just as we talk about the Olympics having sort of an esprit de corps and a sort of spirit, the Boston Marathon has a spirit. And in my worldview, we have more and more opportunities to connect to that. But it takes ex examples of <clears throat> the Boston Marathon and the kind of overcoming that great athletes have done and our recognition of them not being special. They're just like us. And from Johnny Kelly all the way to Meb, they are just like us. On that day... When you get on the line in Hopkinton, you're a part of something bigger than you. And anytime you're a part of something bigger than you, transcendence is there. Um, hopefully this year everyone is able to tap into that and to take it to the next level. But the race is going to ask that of you no matter what. You cannot deny it. Um, from as cheesy as everyone wearing the same freaking jacket all the way to the suffering that it takes to actually get to the starting line to what happens between the gun and the finish line and the support that the city of Boston and all of those towns along the line give to this this triumph of the human spirit it's really all I can say that it is it's people connect and stay engaged and recognize the value of it now as a coach i'll tell you follow your race plan don't get too geared up there's other things to take pay attention to but late in the race when the when the, when the, it, there's an energy there there's a magic there that's happening that's palpable true and real um and you have a chance if you're going to boston to be a part of it if you're not there yet tie your shoes up tomorrow and get out and do the work because we want everybody there and 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 we should get as many people there as we possibly can. And it's it's the most the most amazing foot race in the world. Definitely a worthy event. So with that we'll we'll finish our stories of Boston, these nine stories. Hopefully you've found some inspiration. 
This is episode 17 of the Running Rogue podcast. As always, check out our other episodes, our website, roguerunning.com. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at roguerunning. We're going to finish today by playing it off with Meb's finish line footage to send everybody off with inspiration. So here we go. Here's Meb getting it done in 2014. Are they going to get him? Eight seconds looks like 10 seconds. in the history of the Boston Marathon. We got to broadcast till 4 p.m. We're not going to make it. <laughs> They're going to have to bring in some oxygen for us here on the photo bridge. Salazar, one in 82. Meyer, one in 83. Kowalski's going to win it in 2014. Superstition in me will not allow myself to say that yet, Tony. Me either. Me either. The television screen makes them look so close. Makes Chabet look like he's right on. Chapwani's coming. Chapwani's the one. It actually, the battle for second and third, at least from where we are here, and we can see these runners looks greater. Med Kafleski coming into this race, this thing, this year, all 36,000 of us will run together to demonstrate the spirit of the marathon. We will have our individual motivations, but we will be unified under the Boston Strong umbrella. Ladies and gentlemen, for the first time since 1983, we are going to see an American man win the Boston Marathon. for the city of Boston, for the, the running world in this community. I-